Welcome to The Vow, Voice of Women. Our mission has always been about empowering women through the sharing of real-life stories. When women create a community through the journey of sharing, we gain empathy, forgiveness, and perspective. We encourage you to open your heart to receive today's story. excited for our guest today. I have known Ms. Debbie Ferguson for, we were just chatting, uh, 23 years. Uh, Debbie got licensed in January of 2000. I got licensed in August of 2000. And Debbie and I became fast friends. Uh, She was so kind to me. She has a very warm and caring and giving heart. And uh, I'm just so excited to have Debbie here. So Debbie, welcome. Thanks, Tanya. (laughs) I was even at your wedding. You were. You were at our wedding. And Debbie is a seasoned entrepreneur, single mother, and passionate advocate for personal growth and community support. With a life enriched of diverse careers, global travels, and years of personal leadership training, Debbie's journey took an unexpected turn in October 2017. One Saturday morning, as she prepared for an open house, she suddenly lost her ability to speak. Rushed to the hospital, Debbie embarked on a remarkable journey of relearning speech, reading, and writing. This life-altering experience revealed a profound message from the universe, reshaping her outlook and priorities. Join us as we delve into Debbie's inspiring story of resilience, transformation, and the power of finding purpose in the face of adversity. Welcome. Thanks, Tanya. So could you share with us a little bit more? Actually, before we do this, I have a really funny story. I was thinking of when do I tell this story? And and as sweet as Debbie is, she also has this uh, fierce sense of humor. And um, so Debbie had invited me probably in the first year or two to two years to her house. And Debbie was always fun Debbie and still is fun Debbie. And um, Debbie always had these amazing parties. And her house was very well put together. People felt at home in her home. And she had a hot tub. And so Tanya, amongst a a bunch of realtors, go to Debbie's party. Tanya was 20, 21 at the time. And uh, Tanya doesn't drink. And this is actually the one story of where Tanya drinks. It was actually probably the reason why I don't drink today. It was the one time that Tanya got drunk in her entire life of 43 years and it was in a hot tub with a really good looking firefighter named Barry. And there was this bet going around because the other people at Debbie's party knew that Tanya didn't drink. And so these two guys had bets on who could get Tanya to drink the most. Yes. And I believe it was uh, Suge and uh, Ross Aiken. And And maybe Marcus. Marcus, Marcus, Yeah, yeah, he was involved too. And so Tanya, being of competitive nature that she is, said, oh, I can absolutely down these, uh, what are the, um, when it's pure alcohol, oh, a martini. Oh, martinis, okay, okay. yeah, you were, you were pouring martinis. But Tanya, not being a drinker, didn't know that martinis are poured with like two or three ounces of alcohol. Right. So Tanya had, it was five or six martinis in less than one hour in a hot tub that she had already been in for two hours. And very quickly... Tanya did not feel that well. And so Barry being, you know, he saves people for, he, oh. d- he did save people. Uh, that's what he did. He was a firefighter. 
and being the savior that he was and the gentleman, uh, realized that Tanya was in despair and picked her up out of the hot tub, got her sweatsuit on, drove her home, let me throw up in the bush first outside before I got up to my fourth floor condo. He places me into bed and kisses me on the forehead and said, I will call you in the morning to make sure you're okay. And he did, and Tanya sucked on a popsicle for two days before I think I even left my house. And that is the first and last time Tanya ever got drunk. Oh, so that's a Debbie, good one. I don't know if you knew the whole story, I didn't. but that is the whole story. So oh, I have so good. many fond memories of oh. Debbie, and I just had to share that story. That's great. I love it. <laughs> and you had a cave woman outfit. Because yeah, I don't it was, remember that. It was Halloween. Oh, it was. We were at a Halloween party. Yes. Wow. I can only imagine what that looked like. We'll save that for another I do time. Have pictures. <laughs> In a vault. <laughs> uh, well, back to you, Debbie, and your story. But could you share with us a little bit more about your journey and maybe your various careers that you've pursued throughout your life? They, there are lots. <laughs> um, I, I should go back. I, I was a child of the 60s. So when I came from a really small town where nobody encouraged us to really go to university. So I was in, really good in school and I was very, and I was the oldest child. So I had to be perfect or whatever. And I was uh, so excited to get out of this small town. So I got to the city and I did a couple of years of Mount Royal, but that was just for fun. Really, I wanted to have a job, have a business card. I'll never forget wanting to ride on the bus because mm. I lived in a such a small town. We didn't have, the, we couldn't do our have our make our lunch, ride on the bus, and I so I had several jobs and stop, quit, go to Mexico, party with my friends. Uh, and it was easy to do in those days. We really didn't have any problem like they do now having getting a job. So I, that was those were all kind of careers, but or jobs, not careers, I would say. But really, I did have some. One of them was Channel Two and Seven, which is now Global. I worked in promotion. I worked for the Calgary School Board. I had a lot of jobs. And in between, I would often go to Mexico and with my friends, and uh, those were the job jobs. And then eventually, um, I got into more of career things, but the job thing was, uh, it was just do as much as you uh, want when you quit. You want to quit your job, and I, uh, this is a different podcast, but there was lots of sexual has harassment on the job mm. for women, and so well, those are usually the reasons I would leave. leave. Wow. I, I left two pretty good jobs because um, uh, people just wouldn't, the women wouldn't wouldn't get a break, really. Mm. And finally, uh, one of the jobs I left, uh, I had a boyfriend at the time who was a professional hockey player, and I had the opportunity to go to Germany. So it, that was in the late 70s, and I went to uh, Germany for four years. Wow. And I skied, and uh, we traveled. So I had already gone traveling quite a lot in my 20s, and then in my late 20s, I'd been able to go to, to Europe and go to Africa and just, just really do a lot of traveling. And so that was a really cool experience. Those were cool experiences over the years. Uh, now I'm, I'd say that after that, I kind of got more into the entrepreneur thing. <laughs> so I guess from careers to entrepreneur is kind of a shift, right? And what were some of your most memorable ventures then? Well, uh, lots of things in my, set, in my 20s, but I think I started in the 80s, in the early 80s, to be 
a Mary Kay lady. Oh, you were Mary Kay? <laughs> no, Oh, I love that. I know. And that was probably the first entrepreneurial yeah, thing. Yeah, very I did. much so. And because it was a thing to do in those days. You'd do your little makeup parties or whatever they were. And I loved it. I did. I was a director. I met Mary Kay. I went to Dallas. I sat in her hot tub. Speaking wow. of hot tubs. And I was just about to get the, the pink car. I was going to ask you if you got the pink Cadillac. No, but I was so close, and it was right when I'd had my son, right, at that uh, time. So I was deciding, and I, at the time, I didn't really want to be so busy, so I kind of backed off a little bit, and uh, I guess I still did a little bit of Mary Kay while he was a little little guy. But but that was a, a pretty good, st- good start to what I would call entrepreneurship, and I learned a ton from that. And then after that, when my son was three, I got a job at DeVry, which is a technical yes. school. Yes, yeah. And I, was, I was, did really well, of course, because I loved the baubles. I, it wasn't even about the money. It was about the awards. And I'd always done the Mary Kay thing and got as, you know, do as much as I could as far as awards. I did the same thing at DeVry. I was director in within a couple of years. I was going all over the U.S. for, t- for training, and that, again, that was more t- more training. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, I keep thinking back how much I learned from all those old experiences, which took me into my real estate career. You know, the, the networking, the de- developing communities, things like that. And then after, uh, I, I didn't, didn't do the DeVry after about four years, because again, I felt I was being asked to go to travel in the U.S. And I, my son was little, and I was a single pen, parent at that time, starting. Mm-hmm. So I bought into a hair salon. That's right. In I, I, I forgot that, but I remember that now that yeah. you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, my mom helped me, and I bought into a hair salon. I didn't do hair, but we had so much fun, and I learned to do nails and, and makeup and just whatever we uh, and it was it was like buying myself a little job. Mm-hmm. I could make make the payments, the mortgage payments, and do whatever I could to support my son and be home. Mm-hmm. That was the idea because we lived in Hillhurst, which I still do, and uh, so I was it was right there. So I was able to be close to my son, and then at the end of that is when. I would have met you, Tanya, because that's when this, yeah, 2000, because my son was 17, I thought, okay, I had wanted to go into real estate a long time before that, but I decided not to because I knew. You were a single mom. I was a single mom, how would I do that, Uh, especially with evenings and weekends, and so as it turned out, it turned out the only regret I might have had about starting real estate so uh, late in my life is I wasn't able to really... uh, to, to have that type of career where you can make good money, I was kind of just starting from scratch again. But it was well th- worth it for me because I was able to have my son. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was home with him. Yes. Right? Yeah. And those yeah. are years you can't those get are back. Years right? you can't get. Yes. Kids, kids really want to. They want to see if you're home, whether they need you or not. That's right. <laughs> just that you're in the eye, line of sight. Well, and yeah. I, I always feel so blessed that I. 
I mean, I was 20 when I started, so yeah. I was established by the time, or somewhat established, yeah, by the time and, and married yeah. by the time I had kids. So, you know, I could still take time off and be home for dinner yeah. Yeah. and had a husband to help put them to bed if yeah. I had to go back out. So totally. I can only imagine as a single mother, like that, you know, you that would be very difficult starting yeah. that career when you're young. No, and I, I'd remembered, I'd even started, uh, I'd talked to a, a real estate company when my son was three because I wanted to do it at that time and then it just became really apparent yeah that wasn't that gonna work. wasn't gonna work and that's the reason I I even stopped doing the other couple of jobs because I needed to <coughs> prioritize my son and I'm really glad I did yeah it was so it was the, the right thing the to right do, thing to yeah. do well and I I know how uh, tight that you and your son were growing up yeah. and how committed you were to mm. the success in his golfing and yeah. um, so I think that 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 worked out the way it was supposed it did. to so can you walk us through this significant moment in 2017 when you experienced your loss of speech and what emotions and thoughts were running through your head during that time? And sadly, Debbie, I didn't even know until we ran into each other at the Remax party last year or this year, whenever it was that this had happened. So walk us through what happened. Yeah, uh, I yeah, not everybody knew, like Pat, our broker knew. And, you know, obviously I was working with uh, associate of mine, Enzo, he's helped, we've helped each other over the years, even though we're not a team or partners. And he's, I love Enzo. He's awesome. I just did a deal with Enzo. Yeah. He's such a wonderful yeah, human. Yeah, he is. And he, so, so yeah, luckily he, he was able to be there for me. But what happened, I was telling Nicole about this a little bit, is uh, I had no, um, there, there was no uh, symptoms, no, I had no idea, and I would never have thought because I, I've always been really healthy and had no uh, blood, blood pressure issues, no cholesterol issues, but I'd gone to yoga on the Friday night and I wasn't feeling all that great, but I chalked it up to something. Yeah, of course. You know, I thought because I'd gotten my son, uh, he, go, he would go to Asia every winter and I just was probably taking to the, him to the airport and I thought, okay, I'll just have a really good sleep. And then in the night, I think I was feeling weird and I must have given, had a couple of Advils or woke up in the morning and still ready to go. But it's interesting because I do an energy routine every morning, uh, which is like, you know, tapping and all the little, mm-hmm. and I, for some reason it hit me that I couldn't remember all the steps. steps. And that still didn't, I didn't clue in still. And then I was, uh, getting a phone call. I had a lot of listings at the time and a lady was asking me about a listing. Apparently I couldn't, she kept saying, I don't understand you. And I guess I found out later that when you're having a stroke, you're just, you're slurring, you're slurring, you're not speaking. And so then it kind of hit me. So I called my sister who is in Kamloops and luckily she was at home and and she used to work for BC ambulance. So she knew kind of what to do and uh, I just I think I said to her something one of the last things I could say was I can't talk and then so she said sit down open your door and I was in the foothills probably within 10 minutes and my brother and his wife who lives around who live around the corner were it came got my purse followed me in the ambulance and and a friend of mine was walking her dog right along the street and she's we walk all the time. She saw me come out of the house into the ambulance. And uh, after that, I said to, I'm just telling to Nicole, 
it was about four months where I was just in a fog. Four I, months? Uh, yeah. And I, I was I was kind of there, but I wasn't there because you're so traumatized because of what all happened so quickly in the hospital. Yeah. They were doing things that uh, probably caught clot busting and there was so much that was happening and and somebody had asked me a lot of times people ask well weren't you scared but no you're you're not scared because you're so in the moment you wow. can't be scared you just uh, you it, it is what it is and and I so I just stayed in a fog even though I went through the motions and um, how long were you in the hospital for, Debbie? Six six weeks, uh, which in, is a long time to be in a hospital. Yeah, but I was just in the stroke unit for ten days, and it's interesting because they you couldn't. I didn't look like a patient. I'd get up in the morning and I'd w shower and walk around, and I looked like I was visiting somebody. <laughs> and the only thing that happened, they took my blood pressure about twenty times a day because I didn't have anything physically happening happening, and I was so so grateful I was all I've been so grateful all along and they kept wondering you know is but there was just no speech at all my I could say my first name and they would put a pen up and say do you know what this is of course I knew but nothing you couldn't say nothing, it. nothing came out and so it was 10 days they they watched me and then um, I obviously was really motivated to heal because I'm a fatal optimist and I had all kinds of visitor, visitors in the stroke unit. They didn't even let me, they didn't even put my bed in the unit anymore. They put me in the lounge at the end because there was nothing that they could do. Yeah. There wasn't doing, they weren't doing anything except for taking my blood pressure. So I had about 20 visits, visits visitors a day and laughed and yucked it up and then I was writing things out and, you know, and everybody was at, on my bed and the nurses were like, what's with her and then at the end of about three days I think I said do I am I having like what's going on I don't feel very good and she goes well you haven't stopped talking and laughing and and you know but I couldn't talk but I was you know trying and I was writing things out and so all the neurologists could see and there were 14 neurologists around having a meeting one day and I could hear them because my uh, my office <laughs> was in the, in the, the hallway. They, they literally had a, a meeting on, on Thursdays, and they, it was to see if I would be able to get a bed in the rehab. Mm. And there's only 45 beds in the neural uh, rehab unit 58. And because I didn't have anything physically wrong, I think they were trying to decide if I should get a bed. Probably helped that I lived at home, uh, lived uh, alone. Alone, yeah. But they... They, I was in there for six weeks with almost all just speech therapy. And so what was that like that then from like a recovery standpoint? Did you have a speech therapist every day? Every Did day. they give you exercises yeah. and you just practice them? So give us an example of well, what they gave you. Well, the whole day you'd have a, everybody had a, a chart and you'd, and you'd run to the, uh, I'd go back into my bed because your, your brain is so damaged that you have to lay down, and they said I had to lay down at least 15 minutes and then go to my next speech, or my next. They tried physio, but they didn't need to, but they tried all of it to make sure I was good. But in the end, it ended up being mostly speech and group things. And I just, and then I had to keep going back to my bed because I was so exhausted. I had to, then I'd go back and 
that was six weeks and then after about the third weekend I could go to have a friend sleep stay with me on the weekend and then I was like an outpatient okay and so that went on for six weeks and then after that I can't say how tell you how grateful I am for AAH ASH because they put me into another rehab program where they brought therapists to my house about four times uh, a week and I went out to the community I had to uh, practice things with my therapists and go they took me to yoga I'd have to do I had to do a treasure hunt they had to make sure if my brain was working yeah. they were making prep me practice recipes uh, they had they took me around the hospital and made me find my way back you know oh. there were just so many things they did and then after that that I think that was another several months I went to Sheldon Schumer and had more therapy and so the night the months of therapy was about almost nine months wow. yeah and that was all free and through all, AHS yeah it was just amazing right and then did you have to have anyone stay at your home like you said, when you got home or on weekends, you would. But then, how about moving forward? Then I was fine because the I had therapists coming in and out, and I remember I had to do my Christmas calendars because I had them ready because it was in October when I had my stroke. They were they were ready, but I w couldn't do them. Like yeah. I I had um, you know labels or whatever, and so I remember a therapist came for at least two different t times and did all my uh, calendars mm -hmm. for me. The, and I, I just would, couldn't have done that because I was too, uh, I was in too much of a fog. And yet I could function and I always knew that my brain was fine. And I, that's why, and then they even had me go through all real, what, whatever your, it's a, I forget they call it, ro ro whatever they call it, therapy, where you talk about your, your job. Okay. So there would be a therapist, and I would take some real estate uh, feature sheets, and then we, I would try to talk about slowly uh, about, and then they would make me do my rehab when it was a lot of noise, so that I was able to, you yes, know, focus. focus. And oh, it was really hard. It, the the rehab was really hard, uh, but I think it was good. Yes. And then finally, at the end of however many months, they sort of said, okay. You're, you're, you're good. You're graduated. <laughs> and then it came to, okay, then how do I work? What, yeah. How do I stop to start to work? Like, how do I? And I'm, am I going to have a disability, yeah. you know, going back to work? Like, you probably had fear around even being self-conscious. Oh. Like, are people going to notice? Yes. Are people going to judge me? Are people yes. still going to want to use yes. me? Yes. All of these things yes. that, and so how did you navigate through that? Like, did you tell your clients what had happened, or did you just not say anything and hope they wouldn't notice, or? A, a, a mix. Okay. Because I can really, really remember one specific couple who were so sweet who I hadn't met or didn't know. They were new. Because most of my clients over the years have been repeat and referral. So I, they would have kind of known. Yes. This was, a new, I remember, a new client, and I was so worried I was going to meet them. And then I remember Enzo would come with me. When I was so starting, I was not even able to get a lockbox open because wow. I was too, I was still too fogged. So he, he and I, he, I'd go with him. And then finally he said to me, I think you should just go. He said, just 
manage your conversations. Mm. And that was a really good piece of uh, advice. And I know the people kind of knew. And then we talked later and I sold their house and it was Aww. no problem. So, but it, all along it's been, uh, however, I, but then I could, if people asked, I could always say, my brain has always been fine. It's just how it, how things, it's delivered, how, how it's the delivered. message from your brain Come, is delivered okay, to the client. Like, it's not like you're going to forget about them or you're not going to be able to negotiate no. an offer. It's just the words that are coming yeah. out of your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. And luckily so much of it's online now. And, you know, however, you know, there, this was this one older couple that I started with that I hadn't met they did want me to go over it and talk about the offer and or the listing I guess it was a listing at the time and so that was a hard one because we do so much just online yes we don't necessarily have to yeah like review the contract if yeah. you have any questions have any just questions. give me a call but no I had to go <laughs> line by line oh that must have been mentally it difficult was. it was but, but, but you made it but through those are all things that you just they're just things you have to learn and so what were some of the most significant milestones that you achieved during your path to rehabilitation? Because mm. you started kind of from mm. ground zero mm -hmm. um, with being able to communicate. And so do you remember anything specifically that you're like, oh, yes, I, I can do this? Yeah, yeah. Oh, a lot. And, and it became, it would only become apparent when it was happening. So I always joke that I have this have this really nice white couch and I never sat on it because I was always working back to back appointments. You know, I was selling 40 to 50 houses a year by myself without even assistance. That's amazing. Without, I didn't even have an assistant. Certainly don't do that now, but anyway, that was one of the lessons. But I remember thinking, I never used that couch. And through the rehab and having to having, I had to have a nap. I I don't anymore. But I literally put my whole, my uh, foot in through the couch because I wore it out, and I had to get a complete new re. I, I did re reupholstered re it because I still love the couch. But that's because I had to. I had to lay down, and I had to. And then there were um, probably one of the milestones was. I like to read, and for about three month, three years, I couldn't read. First, I couldn't read at all, even because I was too tired. Yeah, I uh, the fatigue was just too. And then about three years later, I thought, okay, I'm reading books. Wow, look at me. And then, but I couldn't read at night because I was too tired, and you know. And then I remember when all of a sudden I could read at night. I, I could now I can read at one in the morning if I want. But those are all milestones that kind of and your brain is so amazing and we don't realize how amazing and how it only lets you do what you are capable to do mm -hmm. and then once you've healed up to that point then your your brain will say okay now you can try this or, and I was telling Nicole too that uh, I had in the fourth year I had uh, a really huge issue uh, with uh, anxiety and I I didn't know what that was all about because I've never You've had never experienced that. it, yeah. And uh, I, I know now that it was PTSD just because I, I hadn't dealt with all that, the real trauma of the of actually the event because I was, it, your brain protects you of by course. being in a fog. That's, that's right. That's why you have the fog because, <laughs> anyway, 
And so that's one of the reasons I started to work with Dr. Iyer, and that it was through your yeah. power podcast. Yeah. yeah. And because I had to get some help around sleep, um, and I wasn't, because I had anxiety, I, I did, it was a whole year, and I ended up, you know, working with my GP and Dr. Iyer, and I'm good now, but I still have to take one particular med because it's a, it's a brain injury. And yeah. there's just, I didn't real, and I didn't let myself uh, be okay with having, and I kept thinking, well, this is a mental illness. Yes and no, <laughs> but we all experience that. If, so if we need uh, to help, have some help and work with psychologists or whatever, I've had to go through that because of the trauma. Yes. And, and uh, I, I recognize it now, whereas before I would have never uh, want to say, oh, you know, you've got, you, you have anxiety or yes. whatever. And I don't know too much about depression, but apparently they're very, yeah, they're, they're very connected. connected. But I yeah. had more of the physical uh, anxiety where I literally was so scared of everything i couldn't visit my mom i really couldn't do anything debilitating like so yeah, yeah anxiety okay. i have a girlfriend going through it right now and it is debilitating yeah. for her yeah because you really i i wasn't able to do anything because i was afraid and i was afraid of everything but it's it's irrational mm -hmm. and and now i know but anyway that's what i had for about a year <laughs> so that's all so those are all things that good and bad yeah things, milestones, milestones good and bad that yeah. you had to get through yeah yeah yeah. So what role did your personal leadership training play in helping you maintain this resilience and a positive mindset, you know, mm. during your recovery? Uh, well, if I hadn't done personal development, which I did seriously about 10 years of through PSI, which is a California company that uh, has been in business for 20 years. No, yeah, no, 50 years, actually. I was with doing lots of little courses. I was doing uh, some training, a little bit of coaching just uh, kind of helping uh, other people and myself to have, have a look at the uh, some awareness around uh, my personal and professional life. And one of the things I remember was so huge, even when I had my stroke and people couldn't believe it, I'd say things like, and I'd write it down, so what, now what? And I would go with, uh, it doesn't matter, um, I'm, what's next? So I think that having that kind of training helped me not go victim to mm. the events because it's easy to it's do. It's easy yeah. to go victim and think, oh, boo-hoo. Boo and I just kept going forward. And I think that's, that really helped, mm -hmm. that, that type of training. And just the fact that um, I, I just knew that I would have to be responsible f no matter what happens. I I'm still responsible. Yeah. Responsible, right? And for your for your own life, your own healing, your own. Mm -hmm. um, and I think like my my understanding of of knowing you for so many years, you always have been responsible for for yourself. And because you're a single mom, mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. you've really just been able to depend on yourself mm -hmm. throughout life to raise your son. Mm -hmm. And uh, so. I, I have a feeling that a lot of that probably came quite came, naturally came to you. naturally, it did. Yeah, it did. And yeah, for sure. So with such a transformative experience, how has your outlook on life evolved? Mm -hmm. And, you know, second to that, are there any new priorities or goals that emerge from this journey? Um, well, <laughs> I'd say just realizing that I have to... Uh, do less work and, and keeping my priorities 
uh, straight because I was a pretty I was pretty good at uh, if there was something to do and even though I would sort of talk about beingness versus doing I'd still be doing even though I was trying to say oh yeah I'm and I I used to med meditate all the time and it's a good thing I know to do but it was almost like when I had a bit of anxiety, I wasn't able to meditate because uh, I, it was almost like it brought back uh, the muscle memory thing and I, I felt the anxiety. So now I, I, I don't even use, uh, I don't even use uh, meditation anymore. So interesting. That is uh, interesting. But it is really interesting. But I do work on a little bit of energy work. My sister's one of the, uh, she has a little energy practice and I work on some of that. Uh, but yeah, I, and I just keep myself optimistic, which I always did. So, yeah, and you've you always know, been yeah. very optimistic, yeah. Debbie. I don't, yeah. I don't know if I've even, I mean, even going back in the day, if I have ever seen you upset or sad. I mean, maybe we yeah. shared some frustrations with some clients many years <laughs> ago, but um, you've always been a very, you know, a very positive person. Yeah. yeah. So what were this? I mean, what were the silver linings? <laughs> Or positive changes as a result of your stroke. Yeah. Well, the the I think the positive or the silver lining what would to be to remember that this is this was it was a real big wake up and I now know not to glorify being busy because mm. people oh, in our business powerful. yeah so often will say oh go are you busy and and you're so tempted to say oh yeah. You know, I've got this going on and this going on. And now I go, as soon as people ask me, are you busy? I, I change it up. I go, I'm just as busy as I want to be. Busy. Yeah. I don't need to be as busy as I used to. And I like as, the busy, as, as busy as I want to be, mm -hmm. literally. Because the, the see, and seeing more clearly, because I think having this, having this stroke, it really made it real. Like things are were really real, and uh, so I really had to step it up, right? And I like what you said about that. Like I, it's such a good point. Like our society today glorifies being busy. Yeah. It's almost like if you're not busy, you're not successful. Right. right. And you know, even throughout the summer, I was quite slow in real estate, yeah. which I was very grateful for. Yeah. And people will say, oh, are you busy? And I, I said, no, I, I'm actually not. And, and it's kind of a good thing. And it's, it was such a blessing. I got yeah. to relax more yeah. in the summer at our cabin, and I got to spend more time with, being present with my daughters and my husband. And I actually said, you know, and after 23 years of being in real estate, I embrace those right. small times where, right. sorry, uh, uh, non-busy times. Yeah. Because I can be more present, uh, work on self-care more. Right. But I think it's a, just such a beautiful point that, you know, our, our society glorifies this by saying if you're not working Being 10 or 12 hours a day, right, right. that you're not successful. But yeah. you're actually more successful when you have balance in your life. Right, exactly. And there's a really great book that I, I would recommend anyone who's, well, any age, but particularly maybe if after 40, it's called Falling Upward. Okay. And it's... Uh, by Richard Rohr. He's a Franciscan priest and he has a center in New Mexico called the Center for Action and Contemplation. And he's written a book called Falling Upward. And that's exactly what it is. It's an event that happens, it, events happen in people's lives, then suddenly they, they can go from thinking, you know, 
where the way that they used to always whatever they were doing going to a more spiritual place mm-hmm. and I, I'd read that book uh, before this happened and thought oh I, I don't really relate to this <laughs> you know what I mean even though I do consider myself spiritual and I go to church and but as soon as I read that again after it was stroke. like it was writ- writ- written for, for me. you so falling off upward, it, it kind of makes you realize there's another half of your life that is that you haven't even seen until you have an event. Well, I can appreciate that. I my ne- you know the next question I want to ask you is um, well, first of all, I guess I should you know continue with that to say I I had almost died of a pulmonary embolism right. in 2009. Right. Remember. And I didn't realize the severity of it. I just mm-hmm. thought I went in and they were going to, you know, let me out the next day. I was in the hospital for a week and the ER doctor said, you know, if you would have been in here two or three hours later, you would have been dead because the blood clots were surrounding my lungs and, and started oh. to go to my heart. Right. And, um, and I was on morphine for, I think, two or three days and in the hospital for a week and then, you know, had to be on blood thinners for right. six months and get your INR checked. And it was quite a quite a long process and I I remember never like I've never been sick in my life I had never been in the hospital and so it was this kind of coming to Jesus moment you know so to speak to be like okay wow um you know life is precious and I almost didn't live Mm -hmm. Uh, the doctors were very uh, clear with that so um and I just I think after that I just had a new appreciation for my life and yeah. I've traveled around the world. I've experienced how other people live in poverty. Mm-hmm. I know we're in the top 1%. Yeah. But it's different to experience that than to experience it's almost losing your life. Right. And, and I think that that was just a, a reality check. And I think after that, I, 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 you know, my sense is that I was able to find the joy in a lot of little things mm-hmm. that I didn't find the yeah. joy in before. Right. Exactly. It, because it's, it's all how you... Uh, and interpret uh, reframe, I guess. Yes. Your events because that's, right. that's really that's what healing is, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, you take all your events, go. Well, I did learn about. I learned from them, and how do I change them around so that they became become my my healing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what advice would you give to others who might be facing an unexpected life-altering event or challenge? Because You've mm-hmm. lived through that. Your life was turned upside down. The, mm-hmm. Your ability to make money was taken away overnight. Mm-hmm. So what advice could you give our listeners? I, I just think uh, to, to realize that we are enough. And I, we always think we have to strive. So I think we have to realize that we are enough and that we are loved and that we are forgiven and accepted. And we, ha- we just have to believe it. And, and so I just think just to be enough, to say we're enough and to really believe it. And maybe there's an old or little button that I had from uh, when I was doing a lot of personal development. It says, accept your greatness. Hmm. And, I, and I think more people need to accept their greatness hmm. because we have it. It is there. We do. And yeah. I think that sometimes, too, we, we, um, we suppress it, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, and because I think sometimes 
that greatness, it could be um, misconceived through some through, well, maybe I don't want to have ego, right? right? Oh, right. Like there's a difference right. between right. confidence and ego, but right. we all have a bit of ego. Yeah, we sure do. We some manage to. it better than others. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think that belief that we are great and yeah. we can do great things right. and and to really recognize that, I say to people, you know, make sure you celebrate your wins right. because That's, we forget to do those we things. We forget to do that. And, uh, you know, just, and we can't support other people if we're not supporting ourselves. That's right. And so many years I spent never uh, accepting support mm. from anybody. And so I've, I've learned now that I, it's okay to accept yes. some support in my life. And people of love you want to support they you. They want to. Yes, yes, 100%. Yeah, 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 that's true. We, we have to forget, we forget that we, aren't, we don't have to be perfect and think we're, and I had a lot of that as a kid, I think, because I've been the oldest, and you have to be the best at music lessons, and you have to, you know, be at the best at school. And Okay, so that's a program that yeah, I had to undo over many years. Yeah. <laughs> So if you could leave our audience with one key takeaway from your story, what would it be? Uh, just to, to go, to be patient with yourself, to rest, to uh, do fun things too. And if you want to work, work, but, but don't uh, glorify being busy, I mm. guess, again. Um, I, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm really scared of uh, retiring because... I've been so, I've worked for so many years, and it doesn't. This isn't something to be proud of, but I've never had anyone pay a bill. With being married, not married, I've always done all of my. I've both my houses. Each time I was married, had I, everything was in my name, and so to be able to kind of go into, okay, I want to be a grandma. My son's trying now with his wife, and I'm like, wouldn't it be nice for me to be a grandma? So I think people should be able to realize that there's more to work to life than work. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's the very Canadian or North American, North American way. American. I mean, if you look at other Europe countries, they're the opposite. Right. You, what is it? Um, you don't work to live. You live, live to work. To work. Okay. Did I get that right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My brain's not functioning on all cylinders this morning. But yeah, and I yeah. think that that's. You know, in, in Northern society, or sorry, Western society in North America, that it's it's opposite. And yeah. I think we could learn a lot from the Europeans. I, I think so, too. <laughs> I just got, I just went to Greece, and I had such a great, great holiday because I thought about that, you know. Uh, you know, look at the, uh, it's very chill. It is chill. It's chill. And uh, we're, it's not so chill here. <laughs> and as you continue to move forward, um, do you have any specific goals or dreams that you're pursuing that you'd like to share with our listeners? And I mean, you just said, you know, you'd love to be a grandma. Yeah, I'd love to be a grandma. Is there anything else that you'd like to do? Well, more traveling, even though I've always traveled somewhat. Uh, I, I, I always like to try to get to some traveling, but I'd love to be a grandma and I hope it's coming. Uh, I think my son's getting going. He's, he, he, he's sort of, he's a married, he's married because um, his, his wife just, uh, immigrated from Thailand and they've been wow. together seven years so she was able to finally get her be able to get here and but we're still going to have a wedding in yes. Thailand oh you are yeah. so you'll go to Thailand yeah not this year but the following because yeah it has it would have to be in the it would have to be in the winter yeah so I think we're going to do that 
Uh, and I, I don't mind admitting that I wouldn't mind having someone in my life. It's, oh, it's, I love that. You know, it's, it's just it's a hard thing to say, but and I kind of resist that a lot, and I make all kinds of excuses about, well, I'm just busy and da-da-da. But really, in my heart of hearts, it would be nice to have somebody in my life. And you are deserving yes. of that, Debbie. And yeah. companionship yeah. at any age is a beautiful mm-hmm. thing. I know. And... I, I just always sort of joke that they have to be worthy, yeah, <laughs> you know, but absolutely. they do, you they know, do. they do. And so that's, uh, I haven't done anything about it, but I don't know that I even need to just, you know, I, I just need to have my beingness. <laughs> Putting it out <laughs> Putting there to out. the universe and praying to God. Well, yes. and now that Nikki and I know that you're looking, we will keep our yeah. eyes open okay. for a worthy Okay wonderful man for Thank you. Thank you. We're just Thank putting you. it out there that we're going to find a wonderful, worthy man for, Deb, for Debbie Ferguson. Thank you. <laughs> Thank Debbie, you. what have you vowed to yourself in life? I vowed to uh, listen to my, you know, my body, my intuition, uh, to rest and to always remember to be grateful. And I'd say, and be going to go easy on myself. Mm. Right. Give yourself grace. Give myself grace. Yeah, mm-hmm. very important. Well, we always like to spotlight a charity of choice. And is there a charity that you would like to spotlight today? Well, there are lots of local charities that I love, but I still think I should probably say the Heart and Stroke, just because they do such amazing research. And uh, I, one of the one of my choir mates, a cool choir. Uh, I just found out had a m- massive stroke last Saturday, and then another one Monday, and that she's even res- ir- she's not responsive. Response. Responsive. Responsive. Thank you. I feel like those are the things that we need to uh, help with is is research, mm-hmm. and they're doing amazing things. But um, yeah, and so it's near to, and dear to your heart. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Well, Deb, thank you so much for being here Mm -hmm. and sharing your story, your journey. I have no doubt that our, you know, our listeners are going to be able to relate. um, And especially our listeners who have been through life-changing medical um, diagnoses and experiences. Thank you for your vulnerability. And it's nice to see you, my (laughs) old friend. Yeah, thanks, Tanya. It's been awesome. I was so happy to be able to be on your podcast because I know you and it's, not an easy to thing to articulate however uh it's like you say it's just like having coffee yeah <laughs> well thanks Deb. thanks 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 Anya. thank you for listening to the vow voice of women we hope that this episode has inspired you if you want more information on the vow visit our website at voiceofwomen.ca If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us spread the stories.